there, friends. This is Sage Bernardo, and I am the owner of Bernardo Effects, and I'm the host of this podcast show. It's all about the tone, and this is episode nine. Green with jealousy. No, 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 no. We're not going to play this song in entirely because we will play it later on. But what a great, great way to start Friday after Thanksgiving with some funk. We are going to funk today. Well, our my next guest is uh, the guitar player for one of the most iconic funk R&B band uh, in the history of music, Tower of Power. And um, he is a wonderful player, a great human being. And I'm so, so honored to have Jerry Cortez. How are you, Jerry? Doing well. Thank you, Sage. How, Great to be here. Yes, uh, thank you for finding the time after uh, a great holiday, I guess, for some of us. But how, how was your Thanksgiving yesterday? Was it good? Really, really nice. You know, just... My wife and daughter, just the, the three of us at home, we didn't invite anybody over. We right. wanted to, right? I, I know. Ourselves, you know, typically we go out ourselves for Thanksgiving with friends and stuff. And uh, so we, we just the three of us. So it was nice. I know. It's crazy. You know, it's it's my wife and I. We had my wife and I, five cats and a dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds like us. <laughs> so you, you, you have some animals too? Yeah, we do. We have a petting zoo, I like to refer to it as. So what do you got? All those, you know, years on the road, and my wife and I adopted a, a, a girl from China two years ago. She was 14. She was about to age out of the adoption system there. Right. And, um, we adopted her just like a week before she was going to age out. But, you know, it was like a year-long process. Right. But before that, before we adopted her, uh, my wife was home alone. We didn't have any kids of our own in the, in the house, and and uh, I'd leave, I'd leave the house, and I said, "Where did we get a cat?" You know, <laughs> and so and then next thing I said, "Is that another cat?" You know, I'd be gone for another month. Right, so. right, right, right. Cats just kept what? So she was rescuing cats. So and and most of the time she found homes for them, which was great. Right, right. Were kittens, some were full grown cats, and so some of them got adopted, some of them didn't, some of them ended up staying with us. So, so we have we have a, we have a few indoors that's that are better, that's right, indoors, and we have a few that just stay outside and we feed them. And yeah, 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 you know, it's funny because I, I, you know, I, I never, never liked cats before I met my wife, it was always dogs. And and uh, where I came from, cats were, uh, you know, like street cats. I, I I've never seen you know cats at home. So to me, a cat was a dirty animal. They're feisty. They're dangerous. So so I was always weary about cats. So when I met my wife about 15 years ago, she had a cat, and I was always afraid. But man, I I start learning the nature of cats. And I just fell in love with them. And then just like you, she started, you know, rescue one cat and another one and another one. And I was like, okay, so now we have five. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we just rescued the sixth one uh, a few days ago. Yeah. So it's it's pretty it's a wild house right now. <laughs> yeah, we have three dogs. We have one um, a border collie that's kind of on her last legs. The poor thing. She has Aww. a tumor in her nose, and she's yeah. she's uh we probably should be putting her down pretty soon. She's she's kind of suffering, you know. Oh. But yeah, I know have difficulty going upstairs, and she's a charming little uh, border collie that we've yeah. had for yeah. For, years or so and she's a really good, good dog she's super smart she's like a rocket scientist you yeah know, yeah you, know, you can speak in full sentences and she'll like oh okay i got it <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny you mentioning it because uh up up until two years ago i had um a german shepherd her name was sophie and it got to the point that my wife and i had to spell words because she understood them Yeah. So we couldn't say a complete word because she knew exactly what we're talking about. But And then later on, she started understanding the spelling as well. So the, I mean, it's like we had to do like a sign language with her. Yeah, But, I know, believe Yes, and, and I had to put her down too. It was uh, a little bit over two years ago. She, I mean, she got cancer and within two weeks, it got to the point that, uh, yeah, it's... It's, uh, you know, I, I couldn't see her suffer anymore. And, and it just, they're like kids. I mean, it's, it, it just ugh, kills you, you know. Yeah, it does. I've had several different uh, German Shepherds in my life. And they've oh. all been really pretty amazing dogs. Yeah. They, yes, yeah. they are. And often, you know, just because they're, they're, they can be pretty menacing looking. Even yes. just, you know, coming down the street like, oh. All right. <laughs> But they've, they've all been... Uh, Really you know, it's funny. I read somewhere an article that says that two of the best dogs to have around uh, uh, small children's and, and infants is uh, a German Shepherd and a um, um, Golden Retriever. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. And we have a Golden Doodle right now. Oh, that's great dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's go back to music before people is like, wow, what you guys are talking about? dogs and cats. <laughs> cats and you know putting down animals and like oh let's go back to music so I'm a big animal guy you know I, i i don't even eat animals anymore i've, I've been a vegan for like three years now and, oh that's and good for you I'm not an ethical vegan i still wear i still wear leather you know especially with shoes you know right but, uh, just because just for the comfort level but i even have some vegan shoes so i have some a few pairs of vegan docks oh. <laughs> <laughs> ethical vegan for the most part you know i just don't i just prefer not to ingest them anymore <laughs> hey you know what i mean uh, I, i i i even talked to my wife uh, a few years ago and i told her maybe we should maybe we should go vegan and and i cut my you know i used to eat a lot of meats way back in the day it's like almost like every day mm-hmm. right now i think for the last maybe 10 years maybe once a week Oh wow, that's and really yeah, good. and and most of it will be turkey, you know. Yeah, uh, that's good. We cut completely on red meat. I yeah, mean, completely good. red. I mean nothing. Yeah. Uh, so, good. but yeah, I mean, I I think I will go there slowly. You know. So yeah. We gotta it's we good. we gotta keep that planet. You know, and and uh, guess what? Different. They were here before us. 
Yeah, that's for sure. You know, people are forgetting. They were here before us, and we are here to protect them and help them, not to kill them and eat them, you know, so. But anyway, that's, that's a philosophical uh, issue that there's a lot of people would not agree with us, so. Right. Let's oh, live. Sure. Let's yeah. leave it for our private conversation, and we can probably dwell on that for a long time. Yeah, for sure. So, Jerry, let me ask you this: You know, uh, most of my interviews, we, you know, uh, I structure it where I go back in time, and then we kind of like uh, roll into the present. So, can you tell us um, where you grew up, and you know, what kind of music you listened to as a kid, and you know, go from there? Sure. Sure. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Santa Clara, California, which is now Silicon Valley and has been for many, many years. But before that, it was just all plum orchards, you know, and they had uh, fruit manufacturing and all that sort of stuff. That's I grew up around that. Right. And I was really fortunate that my uh, my father's a musician oh, wow. and, uh, and my brother is, too. Um, and we both kind of fought, fought over my, my brother and I both fought over my dad's electric guitar, which is a Gibson Les Paul Jr. that I still own to this day. It's a wow. wonderful guitar. Wow. Yeah. What year yeah. is it? It's a 57. Ooh! Yeah. Don't... <laughs> it's kind of the year to have, I guess. That's wow. the year they issued. Yeah. But uh, yeah, 57, I did check it out with Gibson years ago in the 70s. I said, here's my serial number. What year is my guitar? And they said, oh, it's a 57. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, and then my brother decided, you know what? You could have the guitar. I want to play the drums. Ooh. And so we grew up, uh, and then my dad's a sax player. Wow. And my father is actually the first one uh, that said the words Tower of Power to us. You know, no way. At, yeah, we were sitting at the uh, dinner table, and he goes, hey, there's this new band out. You, you guys got to check them out, man. They're really good. We're so we say, hey, so what's so good, good about them? You know, he said, well, they're... They've uh, got a really, really fat-sounding horn section, yeah. really tight rhythm section, and not only that, they sing really, really well. Wow. And, yeah, and uh, he was right. you know. And he came home just like, shortly thereafter and brought home East Bay Grease and said, here's that band I was telling you about. And we're like, whoa, this is a great band. And my brother immediately took to David Garibaldi's drumming. He was just like, I found my niche. you know. I, I found my style. That, wow. You know, direction i want to go i want to play like this guy i want to play this kind of music and i want to play this style you know and uh it, do you it, remember it, what year we're talking about is it late 60s yeah, 1970 oh okay that's when that album came out okay and, uh, the first time we heard that album okay and so i i was i was 13 my brother was was 16 wait i was 14 my, my brother was 17 so i mean he my brother had already been playing drums for you know uh, seven, eight years or so, and and I, I had already let's see, I've been playing guitar. Well, I've only been playing guitar for four years. Excuse me, we both had only been playing. We got a drum set. He got a drum set the same year my dad gave me his Gibson Les Paul Junior. Right. I was ten. Yeah. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Wow! This is so, so cool. Playing, I take that back. We've both been playing for about four years on our. Okay. You know, and uh, but yeah, that's that that really did it to him, and, and you know, to this day, I've. Playing with David Garibaldi is such a comfort zone to me because my brother has such a similar style. And, okay. uh, yeah, an approach to, to playing the drums, you know. Um, they're different in their own ways, but right, right, pretty right. close. And, and, you know, and there's not only uh, my, my brother, but 
lots of drummers in the Bay Area have that kind of mindset as well, that, that, that approach to kind of pushing the beat, not, not only just David's drumming, but um, Tower of Power in general, just their right, approach. Right, 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 right. And so uh, did your brother continue to have a, a, a professional uh, music career or he's doing it just as a hobby? Well, now he's, he's mostly teaching and okay. then he, he plays in church. Okay. But, yeah, the first four years of my professional life uh, was with my brother. Wow, that's yeah, cool. Yeah. And then, uh, then he eventually uh, said, you know, I, I want to... Uh, I want to have a family. I want to start having, you know, want to have kids, and I don't want to do music full time anymore. Okay. So he he left this band. He said, "I'm going to leave this band. We've been in this band for about four years. A, a band that did a lot of originals and, okay. and a lot. Of, well, we were kind of a little bit of both. We we mostly did originals though. Um, and I said, "Well, if you're going to leave, I'm going to leave too." So um, so we both left this particular band we were playing with and. Uh, went off and did our own separate things. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have, uh, my brother really swung the door open for me as far as just opportunities. I got you. Having played in that band, people knew who we both were, other musicians, you know. Right. So quickly got work right after that just because. Wow. And then when you when you started, so you say you stopped playing guitar uh, when you were 10, right? Yeah, I actually started when I was uh, a couple months before my ninth birthday. Uh, wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. and my, and my, it wasn't. It was like March. I, I actually know the day, believe it or not. That's kind of that's kind of crazy, huh? But it was March sixth, nineteen sixty-five. Oh my and, lord! Uh, yeah, and I, I just remember it was the first Saturday. I thought it was the eighth for years, because uh, I thought it was March eighth, uh, because I had a student in my room forty years later, and and I, I was in the habit of writing in their books, you know, like okay, yeah. for your lesson this. Next week, and I wrote the date, March 8th, I went, wait a minute. Next week, it'll be 40 years I've been playing guitar. <laughs> and wow. I actually went, my student goes, this girl goes, you, what do you mean? You actually know the day you started? I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the 8th. And then wow. I actually had a calendar, 1965. It was actually the 6th. Wow. So, wow. But anyway, uh, it was just a really powerful moment for me because my my dad knew I really wanted to play guitar. Again, that, that Les Paul Jr. was underneath the bed, and it was like, don't play dad's guitar unless dad is home. You know? I... <laughs> so, so you had so to I... wait for him to come back yeah, home. <laughs> so finally, and he know he knew I was in, I was serious about wanting to play guitar. It wasn't my birthday. It wasn't Christmas. Right. So Saturday af afternoon, he. He pulls into the driveway with a cardboard box, and it was a guitar. Wow. <laughs> so the guitar. And I had that thing in my hands all day, and I remember it was a beast to play. You know, the action was up really high, you uh, know. I bet. A mess of the guitar. But I uh, I remember at the end of the day, man, uh, just walk, walking over to that box, setting the guitar inside the box, putting the lid back on, and then thought that occurred to me. I was like, whoa, I'm a guitar player. Wow. And it, <laughs> wow what what a yeah. feeling wow that's great and now, it really defined me who who i was as a kid you know it gave me confidence okay and gave me something to look forward to you know in my days in school it's like well this kind of sucks right here but i'll be home in a couple hours i'll be playing my guitar it's yeah. all good yeah so i did it you know it, it actually helped i think helped me kind of concentrate a little better at school you know just because i knew i had 
we're gonna this will all be over soon you know you I know get through this. it's so funny you mentioning it because i i think this is this was one of the biggest fights i had with my father uh he believed that to succeed in school and 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 concentrate you you really had to focus and have nothing around you and i told him dad listen i can focus way more if i have music play around me and if if i don't i will fail and i remember one time i told him let's put it on a test and i and i'll prove it to you so i think it was uh maybe uh sixth or seventh grade or something like that um uh we had a test and and he said okay you're gonna sit down a whole week and you're gonna learn for that test and i told him okay no music no nothing and i did every single day learned it blah blah and i failed then the next semester i had a test and i said that now let me do it my way let me have music going on in the background And, and, and I'll do the same amount of time a week and see what happened. So I did. And I got a, Oh yeah. Yes. And I, and I told him, you see, because, you know, I remember I had like, a, you remember those boom boxes yeah, back sure. in the day, you know, when cassettes and all that, I had to have that in front of me, play music while I was studying. And if I, if there was no music around, I, I just couldn't concentrate. But I'm so glad I could prove it to him that, you know, uh, it does work. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That, you know, it, it, I got to say, that doesn't work for me. I tried it as a kid studying with music. Right. And I remember trying to study with music, and I go, oh, man, I got to hear that solo again. <laughs> I up the knee and play the solo again. Next thing I know, an hour has passed because I went, oh, yeah, well, I also dig this solo, you know, or whatever it was, you know. <laughs> Or I gotta hear this tune now, and I'd just be sitting there. I was going, "Oh man, an hour just passed. I haven't done any homework. I wish I was off." <laughs> so I found it a distraction. But I think away from home, when when I wasn't playing music and I didn't have my right. or our stereo or whatever, um, I I knew that I had that to look forward to once. Right, and I, and I'm sure it happened to you too. I remember. Every day while I was in school, the only thing I could think about is I can't wait to get back home and grab that guitar and just play for like 15 minutes, you know, just, just to play. And this is one thing that I don't see a lot in, in the young, younger generation these days. They don't have that hunger and drive. And, and the reason I'm saying it is because, I, you know, I, I teach guitar and I used to teach guitar for the last few years. And a lot of my students were like age of nine till 16. And I can tell you 95% of them do not have the drive that you and I or anyone in our generation that wanted to learn guitar. And, you know, you got to do it every day. You give it at least an hour a day. And if you have more, you give it more. They don't have it. All they want to do is just play games on their phone and computer and all that stuff and it's just, just a shame you know but so did you have uh you know so your father was managing tower power really early in the day so did you have any other uh uh influences some other musicians or guitar player that influenced you uh oh yeah sure um but not only guitar players but horn players right, too, right. But my, my dad's a sax player so um 
so besides guitar players, my dad was listening to Stan Getz and oh, yeah. uh, Sonny Stitt, uh, David Fathead Newman, you know, he and, and Junior Walker. He loved Junior Walker. Wow. I, you know, I had this kind of melting pot of, of, of great music, you know, gospel, soul, arm, you know, R and B stuff. Jazz, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so really, really good. And to this day, Stan Getz is one of my favorite instrumentalists. You know, I just yes. really own his sound, uh, his lyricism, man. He's just so melodic. It's yes. Just, it's yeah. Yes. And I myself in the studio or, you know, or playing live. And it's like, what would Stan Getz do, you know, how <laughs> to play something, you know? And uh, so he, he was one of the most inspirational okay. musicians to me. And then, uh, and then I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, like a million other people my yes. age. And that's really what fueled it, you know? Okay. I think it would have just because of my dad's enthusiasm with music. So if there had not been a the Beatles, I still might be a musician just because of my, my dad, you know. Right, right. And, and so, uh, yeah, George Harrison was the Beatle that really stuck out to me because okay. they, they were all impressive, you know, right. seeing them yes. first time. But George was the one who who uh, who stepped up and played the instrumental breaks, you know. Right. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's even more special. You know, right, yeah. That guy in a solo all by himself like that um so that that really fueled it for me okay okay and then all, just the british invasion stuff and then eventually the british invasions uh their approach to playing the blues yeah and, you yes. know to me like they invented the blues you know yes and I'm, I'm looking at their records and it's like really uh who's uh willie dixon well i'm seeing willie dixon on a lot of these records yes <laughs> you know little yeah. red Rooster these different songs that he wrote i'm a man and all that kind of stuff you know and uh and then who's muddy waters who's mccourt and morgan yeah. mckinney yes <laughs> right 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 yeah on wolf and so you know and the bb king and all those yes. and then I, I backtracked and and checked out all those guys you know okay but i i i know even now to this day how special like eric clapton peter green yes. jeff Beck, all those guys, you know, how special those guys play, their playing is as well. Right, you know? right, 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 right. Yeah, especially Peter Green for me. Nice. I thought he, he had, he was just so, so cool, you know. And, uh, but more than any of them, Eric Clapton was, to me, was the most accessible as far as learning from. Yes. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, of course, you know. Yeah. Right. So many things with Jimi Hendrix, songwriting, his, his yep. guitar playing, his rhythm playing, and his lead playing, yes. his song his singing, you know, his 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 uh, Bob Dylan approach. Yes, you know, right, right. Arm, yes, arm, his Bob Dylan approach. Curtis Mayfield, even in, in his vocals, you know, yeah. uh, when you listen to something like um, "Have you ever been? Have you ever been? Yeah, lady man. Yeah, that's so Curtis Mayfield. Yes. You know? So, uh, so he was just a wonderful artist, but. To me, as a kid, man, that was just like, what? I, I'm never going to be able to play this. I mean, even stuff now, I was like, what the heck is he doing? You know, it's still just phenomenal. I know. Me. Yes, Here's yes. It, it, but Clapton, there was something about his, his his playing that was more accessible. And I remember I was spending my entire childhood, it seemed like, trying to learn the solo to Crossroads, the live version. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
I remember as a, as a kid learning that, uh, just, I mean, I really did. I spent a lot of time trying to learn that. So, and uh, there was a, a gentleman who, well, a kid who lived across the street. He was four years older than me. And he wasn't, he wasn't a musician, but he was a great artist and he had an incredible record record collection. We'd ex exchange records. Right. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother and I were good friends with this, this guy. And uh, <laughs> he happened to, he happened to walk into my room. The door was open, actually. And he was a really tall guy. His head practically hit the ceiling, you know. <laughs> I was probably, and he was, he was probably 17, 18 already, you know. Right. And tall guy, and he comes and he stands in the doorway with his hand, you know, in the in the door jam, just kind of stand there like, okay, let me see what you got. And I just had put the needle down. I started playing Crossroads, you know. Okay. Up at the same time, you know, and I played through it. I got done, picked up the needle. I looked at him. I said, what do you think? And he turns to me. He just looks at me. And he shakes his head. He goes, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fast Lord. Forward years later, I started teaching in 1980. I was 24 years old. And somebody, somebody, a student came in and said, hey, can you show me the solo of the Crossroads? I said, yeah, sure. And so I started listening to it, and I actually played through the entire thing, note for note. And I got done with it. I remember thinking, oh, damn, I actually learned it. <laughs> I, think, I think it really, I almost, you know, years yes. just trying to figure yes. it out. Yes. It, dawned, it really dawned on me that I really learned it until that moment, you know, some student. <laughs> and I, I guess I just had it, you know, by then I had the chops in my hands. Right. Pull it off. And and the year to, to you know to pick it up, so it finally came back to me. And then uh, and then fast forward another maybe twenty years, and this producer that I've done a lot of work with, we did a version of it, and we did two versions of it. We did a real electrified version of it, right? Like like Cream did, and then uh, but with keyboards as well. And then we and we did a, an acoustic version. Okay. On the electric version, I remember copying the, the solo note for note, and the, and the producer going, I can't believe you played that note for note. <laughs> I just told him, it's ingrained. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's a great feeling when you can uh, uh, play note for note, you know, your your idol or, or the song that, that put a major mark um, on you. Uh, it's just a great feeling. Now, I remember yeah. it happened to me. Uh, I, you know, my first guitar player, of course, was David Gilmore. It was, you know, that was that was the thing that really got me. And then one day I saw Mark Knopfler on TV and I was like, okay, this is it. I mean, th there's something in this guy. And believe it or not, the first song that turned me into Dire Straits wasn't even Sultans of Swing. I was, uh, I had a radio on one day and Mark Knopfler in uh, 1980 one or two, I can't remember, uh, had a soundtrack for the movie Local Hero. Do you remember that? Yeah, that's right. And there's there's one piece on that, uh, uh, the, the theme song is actually uh, played on an acoustic guitar, kind of like an acoustic classical guitar. Uh -huh. And that thing just grabbed me. And I didn't know who were Dire Straits. I didn't know who was Mark Noffa. This, this thing was just a thing for me. Uh -huh. And I remember, you know, Back then, it was either cassettes or radio, and I, I was I was for for almost a year tried to learn that tune, 
and you know just go note for note note for note and then i think within six months i really played the whole thing note for note and then all of a sudden i realized uh well there's a band our straits that mark Knopfler is the leader of that band and boom all of a sudden that sultans of swing but the first time i played that local hero uh theme song note for note i mean the the feeling that was going through your body is just like, yes, you know, yeah. I did it, you know, so yeah, I can I, understand. It, yeah. It, yeah. It, it takes it. I think it, it definitely helps your, your musicianship, you know? Yes. Um, Cause you know, nobody could really, well, I shouldn't say nobody myself anyway. I, I, I can't, I can't copy anything exactly. No, for no, I can get really close right. on certain things, you know? And, uh, but it, it, everybody still has their own spin on it. Yes, but I think absolutely. it really does, does help your growth. Yes. You know, yes. It, it, it's a really good thing. And, and you know, uh, during our time, there was no video or YouTube and all that. that you can just pop somebody showing you uh, exactly how to do it. it was, we had to listen. So we had to figure out where the notes on the guitar. And, you know, now being uh, uh, us being professionals, we know that the G note on different places on the neck, they're going to sound different, exactly. you know? So you had to, just by listening, try to figure out, is he playing the G on that fret or that fret or on that string, you know? Or open string or, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so or the G yes. on which fret, you know? And, you know, and I think that's probably one of the reasons uh, I believe that guitar, it's so difficult to read music on guitar yeah. because, you know, on piano, there's, there's middle C and it's in one place yeah. and it's in one place on the, on the instrument and it's in one place on the music, right? Yes. On guitar, it's, it's in different places. Yes. In fact, when we read middle C, it's an, it's an octave lower than it actually yeah. sounds. We're playing at an octave lower than it actually sounds. Right. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Because I've I've been to sessions where people go, hey, can you play that up an octave? And I'm and I go, oh shit. Let me work this out quickly, you know. Uh, yeah. Let me and detune. Then, let me detune my lower yeah. string. <laughs> Hold on, yeah. <laughs> but but you know, I think I think it forced us to be. I don't want to say a real musician, but but it. It, it's a real musicianship when you have to listen and nobody's telling you, yeah, just put your finger there and, 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 you know, you move it from here to here. I mean, to me, this is like being like a robot, you know, somebody programmed you and it's like, yeah, take your finger from here to here. This is it. You play. It's, it's, you, it's force you to, you know, to translate what you hear getting into your brain and then move into your hands and and say yeah this is the right thing and especially when you don't see it and you play it and later on you see the real person playing you're like oh my god he's playing in the same exact place that i do thank you yeah. you know yeah yeah <laughs> so it's just a it's just a great feeling and and sometimes i'm trying to I'm trying to express it to my students what a feeling it is when you're actually listening and try to figure out yourself rather than let me pull up a YouTube and you know, I don't even want to go into a YouTube that is like billions of mistakes, you know, 
and and those who learn they don't know if they're learning their mistakes or not you know so sure. but anyway I, I don't want to get into all that uh, but uh so when was uh so did you ever had um a formal lessons or it's all by ear and yourself i've had some formal lessons from uh very good teachers actually okay uh, i had i had a couple only really a couple lessons in um my early childhood and uh one was like a group lesson then another one that was only one lesson i remember i was right after i got my guitar then my dad took me to a, a gentleman that he was working with a guy a great jazz player you know and he sat in the back of this music store he had he, he had i remember he had glasses you know and he had a he had a shirt and tie on He was sitting there and he was playing a beautiful Gibson L5, man. Just Ooh. like, we're going and I go, whoa. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember my dad goes, hey, Jerry, play him that song you just learned, man. Play him that song. And, I was like, <laughs> and uh, so I had I had picked up the intro to uh, Born on the Bayou by Creedence Clearwater. Uh -huh. Yeah. Like E7 chord, right? Right, right, right. Played that, and I, I, I just remember the look on the teacher's face was like, "Oh my God, get me out of here!" You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's a jazzer, you know. I'm oh sure that ridiculous to him, you know. <laughs> what is that? To <laughs> me, it was like the greatest thing in the world. Man, oh I my it. lord! Yeah. <laughs> so I only remember having. God, I want to say I only remember having just like a handful or less lessons from him, you know. Right. And I remember him teaching me some note reading things, you know, like yeah. in, out of a modern method for guitar. Right. Great book, actually. And uh, but I just was like, can I just learn credence, man? <laughs> why do I have to? Why do I have to do this Mel Bay thing? You know, who's <laughs> Mel Bay? <laughs> so, so. Uh, Who is that then, grandpa with the glasses that, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Get lessons from that guy. Right. Uh, so, uh, but he was a great guitar player. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in fact, he just, I just heard, like he passed away recently. His name was Eddie oh. Abner. Oh. He was a guitar player. I remember going to, I remember seeing him play with my dad. Yeah. Really. My dad was like, in, my dad played in a lot of organ trios back then. Um, in fact, there was a female named Donna Burdell who played, who played B3 and kick pedals. Ooh, and she was, wow. Yeah, and she was churchy, but she could play jazz and oh, stuff, man. Oh, man. She had a good groove, and Eddie Abner could play, and my dad played sax. And he played in uh, several different configurations. Okay. Like Yeah, but back back then, back in the day, I mean, I grew up in the South Bay area, which is San Jose area. Right, right, right. Uh, lounges, clubs that had a B3 that lived there. Wow. So they were organ bars, you know. Wow. And went around the stage, and they would have, like, trios, quartets kind of thing. And my dad played in a lot of those situations. Wow, and wow. I It was just the coolest sound. And I mean, even to this day, people people ask me, hey, so if you had to do it all over, I especially get this from my students, so if you had to do it all over again and choose a different instrument, what would you play? I either say, oh, I just would forget the instruments. I just want to be like an amazing singer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I've heard you singing, so 
Oh, thank you. You're very kind. But there are people that, that just really do it for me vocally. But anyway, uh, I was going to say the instrument I would choose is probably Hammond B3. B3. It's just a, a, such a beautiful sound, you know, and, and there's just so much you can do with it. You know? I know. You know, the first time I saw somebody playing a B3 in concert, I went to see Stevie Winwood in Nashville. Oh, and nice. and it was... He a, huh? He lives there. He does, yes. And, you know, it was a trio. So it was Stevie, it was a guitar player, and a drummer. So, so I'm listening to the concert, you know, and Stevie just rocking on the B3 and playing and all that. But I, I can hear bass lines somewhere and it's like there is no freaking bass guitar player on stage where is it coming from and all of a sudden i'm seeing his legs dur, 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 you know just moving and he's doing the bass lines i was like any singing lead vocal i mean i mean the amount of genius that oh, you can have in one body it, it was just mind-blowing and i was like i remember for an hour and a half my jaw was dropped yeah, me too. I, I I saw him do that too. I saw him play with the. Me with too. The yeah, I did. When we first moved to Salt Lake here, where I live now, and uh, he, I was blown away. I was blown blown away. Um, it just I I knew that I knew that he played the bass on on the B threes from time to time, but I had no idea he was doing. I was, I had no idea he was kicking pedals, um, I, and he did it. He yeah. Did it wonderful job and he played guitar that night too and yes. his sax player who was really really good really good he came over and played the bass while steve winwood played okay. guitar. he played bass on the b3 there was no bass guitar or bass guitar rig right right yeah he played, he played bass with his left hand he did a great job um uh but and steve winwood i thought played guitar better than the guitar player that was in his band <laughs> i wanted to hear steve stevie play guitar was that I, I I was that him. the uh, uh, Brazilian guitar player yeah. you had? He's very good too. He has yes. a, very, a very cool style. Yes, Jose, he's very good. But I really was digging on Steve's playing. I know, so, I know. You know. All about Steve Winwood for me. But when he when uh, when he sat down and played the B three again, I, I really did. But I did enjoy hearing Jose Neto because he is a yes. great player. He, he he has, a, yes, uh, yeah, yes, yeah, you're right. And he's um, a big player. A very unique style too, you know, and uh, but that that B three that Stevie was doing, I mean, at, at one point it was a rocking song, and both of his hands, you know, uh, are playing on, he's singing, and his legs is playing the bass line, all at the same time, and I'm like, I can barely sing and just strum the guitar at the same time. I, how can you even do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. but he's one of favorite all-time musicians yeah actually. it's just just brilliant and th that instrument i mean when you hear b3 on on records i mean it's like it's like it's it's a different it's a different atmosphere um hey i want to um play some of your original musics if you don't mind okay uh so let's play uh can you tell us about the first song we're gonna play i think it's uh, uh christmas time yeah, yeah. So this is this is actually going to come out on a single, and Silent Night's going to be the flip side of the single. Okay. Uh, hey, child, can't flip a can't flip a um, a digital audio over like you could a forty five. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. Anyway, had it been a forty five, uh, the site 
Site B would have been, uh, is going to be Silent Night, which is going to be on my next Christmas CD called okay. On Christmas Day. Oh, wow. Here I, uh, I released a CD at Christmas time called On Christmas Eve. Okay. This is a song I wrote originally as an instrumental. Okay. On acoustic guitar. Okay. And I was playing this thing, and I was going, man, the whole time I was playing this song, it reminded me of the Christmas Eve parties that we used to have at our house growing up. Okay. Because when we were a kid, you know, when, when Santa was a thing, when we were really little kids, right. uh, we celebrated Christmas on Christmas morning, right? Yeah, yes. As we got older, my dad's a musician going, hey, man, I got to sleep in. Let's move it to the afternoon, you know. <laughs> You guys know that the whole thing was Santa now, so we're good, right? So <laughs> how about, <laughs> we're gonna celebrate on we're gonna celebrate on Christmas Eve. We can all stay up really late, right? And we'll open Christmas presents at midnight, right? Like, yeah, and it turned out to be great. And so, uh, you know, I have three other siblings, and they're all really close in age. So they had their friends, I had my friends. Plus, we had family, you right. know, grandparents. Yes, yes. Um, family kind of thing and neighbor friends and all this kind of stuff so we would have really like 50 people sometimes wow at our house. Uh, yeah in a 12 you know 1200 foot house you know yeah 12, you know square 1200 square Christmas, foot house. yeah 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 it's full of people you know and just all having a great time everybody getting along you know and uh it just it was really special okay. so uh reminded me of that and then finally uh i i you know i came to do a a CD, and I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta write some words to this song. <laughs> right. So I did, and and, and I, I wrote about, you know, my experience uh, growing up having Christmas with my family. So it's all, Aww. it's called On Christmas Eve. Yeah. So okay. the next year, I I said, well, I should do an, I should do an instrumental version of that song because that's how it was originally written anyway. Okay. Uh, and so it's like, well, I can't call it on Christmas Eve again. So this one, the follow-up's called On Christmas Day. <laughs> there you go. So, so let's, you let's, go. Let's, let's give it a listen.
guys will have to buy it to listen yeah. to the whole thing. Man, yeah. this is beautiful. Thank you. That that is actually a Vince Guaraldi song. That's Christmas time is here. That's uh, from the you know Charlie Brown Christmas. Right, right. That's actually one of my favorite all time favorite songs. And that was recorded 20 years ago. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was before I I believe Tom Pollitzer might not have even been in Tower Power yet. He's 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 the one that you heard going out playing sax solo. Okay. And I did solo right after his solo. Okay. On the recording, but. Um, that was done, and that's like a bonus track that is not going to be on the CD. On the CD, I did just the solo version of me playing the same song. Okay. Uh, and the reason it, it didn't make the CD, I wanted it to make the CD, but the record company wants to deal only with uh, music that has been recorded at uh, 96K, so really high resolution. Yeah. And this older technology, that was probably recorded at 44 or 48. I got gotcha. you. Okay. So... And they can bump it up, but it's not the same thing from, you know, being an original source. Right. So, uh, unfortunately, that that's not going to make the CD, but it's coming out as a single. Like I said, I think either today or tomorrow. It's, Th it's this, this this song? Yeah, yeah. This, this yeah. cut? Yeah, yeah. And then oh, the what a great timing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is good timing. And then, uh, and then, the, and then the song that is going to be on the CD, Silent Night, my version of Silent Night. So this, the album is a, a mixture of a steel string acoustic guitar, yes. nylon, string, uh, nylon string acoustic, and uh, um, jazz guitar. You know, like a, so that that entire album is coming out today. Yeah. No, the album is not going to come out until right before Christmas. Okay, but but, the, but this one is coming out. Yeah, oh. Christmas and Silent Night. You'll, wow, you'll wow. can't wait for that. What you know? Uh, what guitar are you playing on this one? The tone on it is just amazing. Thank you. It's a it's a Gibson L5. Oh, I stole the Abner. No, I'm kidding. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll never never forget. You know, I, I wanted to tell you a story really quick about L5 because I I think it's thing. What's the quintessential jazz guitar? You know. Yeah, yeah. And and another one of my very favorite guitar players is uh, Wes Montgomery. Oops. <laughs> I remember hearing Wes Montgomery as a kid, and I, and you know, here I am growing up with my Les Paul Jr. solid body guitar, single pickup in the bridge, right? Right. And I remember hearing Wes Montgomery, and I think one of the songs I remember hearing was his, his version of Windy, okay. which I think is a, a really sweet version, you know? Right. Uh, you know, a lot of the hardcore jazz guys probably wouldn't think so, but as a kid, I thought it was brilliant. And I remember thinking, how can I get my guitar to sound like that? <laughs> and, and our car, our guitars couldn't be any more different. And plus, yes. plus the approach, you know, he's playing with his... With his thumb, thumb. right. Yeah. Yes. And he's in octaves, and I had no idea how he's yes. getting that sound, you yes. know? Uh, so uh, I have a West Montgomery model that I got. You do? A, a, yeah, I do. I have one of those. The tailpiece says West Montgomery. So if there's anybody's any guitar player's name, I, I, you know, I'd love to have him on my guitar. Well, Les Paul, of course. Right. And uh, and West Montgomery. So, oh yeah, it's my lord. In the, in the tailpiece, as well as you know, L5. So just a brilliant guitar, and it's the single pickup, which which is the version of L5 I always wanted. I just think I love the whole vibe of single pickup guitars, like okay. Uh, Paul Jr., uh, a single pickup jazz box, you know. Right. And uh, what's what's another one? An Esquire. I've had an Esquire before. Yes. Those are 
favorite guitars too. I love those. Do you like and, the single pickup more on the bridge or single pickup uh, neck neck style? Well, it just depends on the guitar, you know. For gotcha. the jazz stuff, the neck, you know. Right. And so for country and rock, man, the Esquire and the right. Absolutely. They're just, you know, more versatile than than, than uh, you know. I think they're uh, you know finally being appreciated for um, uh, their versatility. Yes. You know, Yes. And people do appreciate them for their versatility. I remember when I first got my uh, my my Les Paul Jr. back after sitting around for a while, and it needed some serious work. And there was a number of things that I had done to it, but uh, pretty much all stayed original. But had had some serious work to be done: pickup rewinding, um, refrets, because the frets were just goners, man. Right. <laughs> Tuners, right, that right, sort right. of yeah. Replacements. I didn't refinish it or anything like that. I remember I took it to a gig where I and I on purpose I left like my Strat or my 335. I left them at home. I just went. Oh, I know I can get through this gig with just this guitar. Oh, and I did. And we played kind of some swing tunes, some kind of jazz ballads. We played some R&B. We played some funk. You know, we played a little bit of country stuff. So I mean, this thing and my Les Paul Jr. just shined through all of it. <laughs> But anyway, I was going to go back to the story I was going to tell you about an L5. You know, my dad was such a big fan of that guitar, having played with, like, Eddie Abner, this guitar player I mentioned, a uh, great jazz player. He played an L5. And uh, <clears throat> he, uh, we would pass a music store, and I'd go, oh, Dad, check out that guitar in the window, you know, the music store. It'd be like right, an right, right. instrument or something. And he'd look, and he goes, yeah, ain't no L5. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, as a kid, I was, I would, I would say, "What's an L5?" You know, and he goes, "Oh man, it's the most beautiful guitar." And he described it to me, you know. And then, you know, after I picked up my guitar that I got a killer deal on, uh, I remember I it was Thanksgiving, in fact, right, right. yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanksgiving, in fact, I just got this guitar and. and I, I was at my brother's house, and the whole family was there. And I took my L5 because I wanted to show my dad, you know. Right. And I, and I so I walked in, into the kitchen. Well, I, I walked into the house. I set the guitar down, you know. Walked in the kitchen. My dad's in there. I said, "Hey, Dad, come out here. I want to show you something." He goes, "I'll be right there." And my wife Kathy goes, "Oh no, you need to go now." <laughs> so he walked out there. I opened up the case, and and it was the L5. And he goes, "You got an L5." Oh wow. <laughs> He was blown away, and and whenever you know Christmases and and holidays and things like that, whenever we had family get-togethers, I'd always bring the L5. That's the L5. What what year is it? Yeah, it's '95. Okay. Yeah, right. I think that guy, a guy named James Hutchinson, who built a lot of uh, um, archtop guitars, right? For getting back yeah, then, is yeah, yeah. doing a really great. I think it's on the uh, the the Memphis. Um... Uh, uh, plant, I believe. I think this is where they do all their uh, art stuff. Yeah, you know, I'm not really sure. I'm not even sure about the James Hutchinson thing, but um, I, I, I know that it's 95 because it's actually dated inside the label. Uh, okay. so hard to see, you know, because wow. it's so down inside there and it's a small label. But, blonde? Um, blonde no, Alpha? It's a Sunburst. Like oh, West is it? Was, like Wes's was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a Sunburst one. I didn't know so. Wes had a, a Sunburst? I thought it was a blonde. Uh, no, I, I... Did he also play on a Super 400 at one know, time? I've never seen him with one, but it doesn't mean he... You know, I'm sure he's... Right, okay. I've never okay. seen a photo of him with one. Okay. You know, he, 
he would probably still sound like Wes on an Esquire, you know? <laughs> yes. You know, it's amazing. Some of those players, you're going to give them, I don't know, uh, a broom, and they're going to sound like they, you I know? Have it, for uh, sure. He's one of those. And, and, He's a very unique guitar player, of course. He uh, is, he is. And, you know, it's so funny because when you listen to a lot of Wes Montgomery recordings, you might think, oh, man, this is not, I mean, it's not something complicated to play. I mean, it's it's very simple, but uh, no. You know, uh, it's not. not. Another one. You very know. lyrical players and you know i am yes yeah just just a big fan for sure yeah right right so um so let's go so do you remember your first um major gig and which band was it and when was it yeah sure well i would say um pain gig was uh with my brother and he was playing Okay. A top 40 band in this place called the Friars Club in Palo Alto, California. And it's, it's just okay. off the El Camino Real, it's on the street called El Camino Way. And uh, he was in a band with uh, guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, yeah. And I remember the keyboard player was a really great singer and, uh, you know, B3 player, really like soul guy mm -hmm. from Texas, you know, a white guy, and just killer. And uh, the guitar player was the lead singer. And okay. he broke his arm. And, at, yeah, and so they said, well, let's get uh, Robin's kid brother, Jerry. I, mean, I, had already, I already sat in with him once. I was 16. Okay. And, wow. And I, so I filled in with him uh, for them for a short time. His, his, he was able to eventually get his, you know, still play with a cast on somehow. He was able to. Okay. But uh, I filled in on a few, like, you know, a handful of gigs for them. And so that was, that was a, like a big deal for me. I remember the first time, right. I, remember the first time I got on stage with them was uh, we played, I remember we played the Spooky Tooth song. I can't even remember the name of it now. Pete, your audience probably go, Spooky Tooth? Who the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the name of the song, but it was a, a pretty hip song. And I remember I knew the changes and, and, and uh, and my brother really dug that song and brought it into the band. And they're like, "Oh yeah, okay, uh, yeah." But uh, anyway, I remember I got up on the stage and, and it was like everybody was looking at me. It was like a full house, you know, lots of people on the dance floor and and just everybody, you know, full house and everybody is watching the stage, you know. And uh, I was I was petrified. And I remember I, I turned around while we're on stage and I was I was playing with my back to the audience and I had this must have had this look like. Oh, I'm gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother. Now, was that mid seventies? Uh, yes, it was. It was early seventies. It was nineteen seventy two. Okay. Yeah. And so my brother's on stage. He's he's, he's, he's laughing at me. He's like, Turn around! Turn around! Turn around! Turn around! Turn around! And finally, I I got the courage to turn around. And I, you know, everybody's looking at me, you know, and I just thought, oh my God, look back at him, you know, and I just did. I just started looking, I just started getting eye, eye contact with everybody, and I just, I relaxed, you know. <laughs> so, and, and I, oh, I was, I, you know, I never really had stage fright after that, you know. Oh my Lord, this is funny. Turn around! <laughs> so, uh, oh, fun moment, very memorable, actually. 
So So how long have you guys been doing this this uh you know the the band with your brother? Uh well at the time I, I wasn't even in the band. I was just filling in for that guitar player who broke his arm, you know. Gotcha. Okay. So he was still singing, but he couldn't play. Okay. And I remember okay. doing that with another great guitar player years ago years later, you know, who broke his arm. Right. Yeah, and I kind of Man, what? Okay. <laughs> it looks like you like you have like a mojo following you. Like, well, let's make sure this guy's gonna break his arm so I can play yeah. in the band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just get it, break it for him. <laughs> so I can play. It's almost like you're hiring like a you know a voodoo person, <laughs> having a little doll. It's like, okay, let's break his arm. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I know. So, uh, but yeah, it was a good a good memory and. Uh, And uh, I learned a lot from from playing in bands with my brother and the gentleman he played with okay. were older, you know. Uh, I remember that keyboard player I mentioned, the guy from Texas who played B3, he was also a great guitar player. And I remember him, okay. him showing me uh, the song Blackbird in, in my parents' kitchen, yeah. you know, when I was just, you know, I was 16 years old. And that was the first time I, I'd learned how to play that and learned how to, think, you know, play finger picking. Yeah, finger picking, right, right, yeah. I, I still really wasn't much of a finger picker. I mean, I, I mean, I could play Blackbird and a little bit of, uh, what was the other one, um, Julia, you know, the same, uh, yeah. you know, the Beatles. But uh, right. it wasn't until, geez, probably probably when I started playing with, the, with this uh, singer-songwriter, Jesse Colin Young, that I worked more on my fingerstyle acoustic playing. Okay. Got more into okay because I didn't even own acoustic guitar. I was like an already in my. I was probably like 30 years old, and Jesse uh, basically fired the whole band and kept me on and wanted to do, just do acoustic. He wanted to go back to his acoustic roots. Wow! So and he goes, he um, would you like to would you like to do some acoustic stuff? I just want to do acoustic stuff. I don't want to do the band thing. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. sure. So he. He goes, well, bring an acoustic. I said, I don't have one. <laughs> so he had, you know, he had plenty of guitars. And uh, right. yeah, so I, I played his for a while. And finally, I got a really beautiful Koa, all Koa with Taylor guitar back in the Right, yeah. right, right. And, uh, and so what kind of music you guys played uh, uh, with your brother's band? Was it like Top 40 back in the day? Yes, yes, it was Top 40. So it was like whatever, whatever was on the radio. You play, you guys played. Yeah, it, okay. it was uh, you know rock stuff. Some of it was R and B influence. Some of it was soul, some pop, uh, but most mostly rock and pop stuff. That was you know, it, but it was pretty hip stuff. You know, and every once in a while, right. I did some of the album cuts like Spooky Two. You know. Yeah, yeah, Spooky <laughs> Two. <laughs> I remember that name for all day yeah, now. Yeah. Spooky Two. Yeah, good, good British invasion band. Gary Wright, the Dream Reaver guy. He was in. Okay. Wow. I believe. Wow. Yeah, he was a okay. great singer, man. Yeah. But he wow. And before he became Gary Wright, the solo artist, you know. So. Right. Yeah. And and that was in California, right? Still in California. Yeah, that was in California, but the band's from England. Uh, Spooky Tooth. Spooky Tooth. No, no, no. I'm telling you, you and your brother, the, yeah, that the, was the whole band. That's in California. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Near where we grew up. Okay. Uh, we grew up in Santa Clara and Palo Alto is probably like a 30-minute drive or so, something like that. I yeah. got you. That's great. Yeah. Hey, I want to play another song of yours. Cool. And um, I think it's uh, One and the Same, mm -hmm. correct? This is the title track um, for my next CD that's coming out. I actually wanted to put it out this year, and it's nearly done. I mean, there's a couple little finishing touches I have to do to... Uh, uh, 
like two songs and they need to be mixed. Other than that, it's finished. Um, okay. This has been such a crappy year. So I don't. I don't it's I, been challenging. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to put it out this year. It's just kind of a jinxed kind of year or something. I, I don't know. I don't feel good about it. So um, and I want to be able to eventually, you know, print it out so I could. I can have hard copies that I could sell at power right. gigs and that sort of. Thing. Always listen to your inner voice, man. Inner voice is always I right. Say, don't do it. Just wait. Yep. Then don't yeah, do it. You know, I, I've learned kind of, many times. Sure. I'm kind of overdue to put put one out. So the Christmas CD is coming out, and that's fine. It's that time of year anyway. But, right. Exactly. But one of the same. It's so I have a story behind this. There's a, there's a story behind it if you want to hear. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course. When I was a, when I was a kid, I grew up Catholic, and so okay. um, as a young boy, I'd, I'd go to catechism begrudgingly. Uh, not a fun experience. I would mostly try and ditch catechism, but whatever I ditched up <laughs> none after none, I had different nuns that were teachers, different ones. It seemed like there was a different nun in each class, and it seemed like at least I heard this three or four times from, from the nuns. Okay. If you're not a Catholic, you're going to hell. Anybody else who's not Catholic is going to hell. And so I finally, you know, at first I went, oh, well, I guess we're special, you know? <laughs> first time I heard it. <laughs> the, the third or fourth time I heard it, I finally I challenged this nun. I remember this was on a Saturday afternoon, that this particular catechism class was on a Saturday afternoon. Mostly it was after school, like on a Wednesday. I remember that. You know, I remember right, right. Stingray bike to catechism, you know. It's like, let's get this over with, you know, because <laughs> it was after school. I was like, right. I got to go to another class. School's over, man. <laughs> so anyway, it was on a Saturday afternoon, and this nun had said that again. There she was saying, Catholics the one true religion, and anybody else who's not is going to hell. And I said, Hold on, time out. I just, <laughs> I said, you mean to tell me the, the, that the minister, Lutheran minister, lives across the street who has seven kids, and his kids are like the smartest, brightest kids at school. They really are. One of them was a valedictorian. Yeah. Oh, actually, excuse me. And behind him is, behind his family is uh, a Jewish rabbi. And I know that he is faithful. Next door to, to the Lutheran minister are Presbyterians. And I know that they are faithful. They go to church every weekend. Down the street from okay. us on the same side of the street is a Mormon family. I know that they are faithful. They go to church every weekend. You mean it's all right. these people are going to hell? She goes, yes, they're all going to hell. And I, I said under my breath, hand, hand over my mouth going, you're going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, when you just said that, the first thing that came to my mind, you know, I'm Jewish and, and I, you know, I don't practice religion, but I'm Jewish. It was like, I, can, I can't even imagine a conversation between a rabbi and that nun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So I, I and girl, oh. and this girl sitting next, she, and, and so the nun goes, what did you say? And of course, like some young girl sitting, sitting next to me, she said, she says you're going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> You're out. Yeah, so I, think I saw her walk up to this, the phone inside the room, right, hanging on the wall. She called the office, and I go, oh, "Great." <laughs> Next thing, I, half go. an hour later, my dad's at the door, 
And, you know, coming to get me, it's like I was getting kicked out of class. I'm getting kicked out of catechism. I'm going, oh, man, I'm dead. And so I get in the car with my dad. We close the door. We're about to drive off. My dad looks over at me. and He goes, you don't have to go to catechism anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I still finished my first Holy Communion, though. There you go. Oh, this is time funny. In the world. <laughs> oh, so this what this is about, this is about, hey, man, we are all one and the same. One and the People, same, exactly. Color, whatever, man. We're all human beings, man. Yes, Being, uh, yes. If we can all think that way, I think this world will be a much better place. Yeah. You know, I have... Because I, 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 you know, I have discussions with a lot of friends, you know, either if they're Muslims or Christians and all that. And I said, guys, listen, it doesn't matter what you call it. We all believe in the same thing. I mean, there's no 500 gods, yeah. you know, you all believe in the same thing. So uh, let's just let's just get along you know and get and 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 worship whatever we need to worship if you do believe or you're not but at, at the end of the day it's the same thing it's that one thing so but hey yes let's listen to that song i think it's better than getting to this philosophical conversation so uh one and the same Like always, friends, you have to buy the album. <laughs> and maybe if we're lucky enough when the album is out, maybe Jerry will come back to the show or maybe we can actually play the entire album and talk about it. You know, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. So two things I want to say about this song. Don't tell me it's you singing. Yes. Oh, my Lord. Seriously? Yeah. What a wonderful voice. Thank you. You're very kind. Thank you very much. Oh, I love it, man. I, I had chills when I was listening to it. It's like the whole thing is just, oh, wow. I didn't know that you can sing that well. Thank you. You're very kind. Oh, you, I, I'm speaking the truth. Oh, thank you. So when, when, when did you start singing? I mean, this is always part of your uh, uh, musical growth. Yeah, you know what? My dad really encouraged me a lot to sing. My, I remember uh, sitting on my, on my bed playing my, I used to sit on, on my bed playing my Les Paul Jr. unplugged most of the time because I didn't want to bug anything. Right. And I remember he used to always walk in my room and go, I bought you an app, man. Plug it in. <laughs> I was like, 
well, I don't want to bug anybody. He goes, plug into that damn thing. <laughs> and so it was a 62 je- a basement amp, man. I wish I. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He goes, I'll watch you an amp, man. Play, play, plug that thing in. And so I didn't want to bug anybody. And I remember, you know, another, uh, then every once in a while, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd open the door and goes, hey, man, if you want to get any gigs, you're going to just have to start singing. And I was like, but dad, my voice. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. It's not fair, man. <laughs> I still have a good voice. <laughs> and I still do, actually. But anyway, you know, my voice no, hasn't changed no. yet. It was, you know, it might even have been pre-teen. He was already telling me, if you want to get some gigs and, you know, uh, you know you'll, you'll, you'll have an edge over other musicians. Right, sing, right, you know? right. Sing. Learn to sing. It's like, and I remember him even uh, sitting down with me. We had, we had a family organ. We had this... Uh, a con organ is what we had. We didn't have a B3, unfortunately. I might be a decent B3 player today if we had a, a decent organ in the house. But anyway, we had we had a cheesy church lady organ. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's not that nun. Okay. But I remember sitting down and and uh, and working with me on my vocals as a kid. You know. Okay. And, yeah, and yeah. He would show me songs that he did. I remember one of the songs was uh, Wichita Lyman, Glenn Campbell, you know. And okay. Yeah. He was trying to teach me that I couldn't reach the notes. They were they were too low still, you know. And okay. I couldn't remember not being able to reach those pitches, you know. And then I remember him trying to change the key for me so I could sing it, you know. So, right. so we worked at that, and then you know, and then I, and then he didn't push the issue, and I I remember there was a. The band Yes came out and had that singer John Anderson in the band. Oh yes, yes. There was, and I, I enjoyed the band. I remember starting to sing along with some of the records, and I, I noticed I was like, "Man, I have my voice is pretty high. I guess I'm a tenor because <laughs> I could yeah, notes, you know, I could sing uh, pretty much everything that he sang, you know. And I, I started practicing and and just working more on vocals. Then I got interested in in uh, and singing enough that I joined choir at school. And by the time right. I did that in high school, I was a junior. And I loved it immediately. And I, and I, and I was like, wow. I was kicking myself. And I, I like, I can't believe that I missed out on singing in middle school. I mean, we had a singing class, but it wasn't like being a part of a singing group, which. Right, 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 right. And they had it, you know, in my freshman and sophomore year, and I didn't participate. So I was kicking myself like, I really should have been doing this earlier. Lot earlier, but I learned a lot from there too. You know, just kind of the mechanics of singing and things like that. I still don't consider myself a schooled singer by any means. And I remember taking a semester in, in college as well. But again, okay, I don't consider myself a schooled singer by any means. I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants kind of thing. And I mean, I, I can tell you. I mean, it's you know, when I just listened to that song, it's like. I was like, is that him? Because my Lord, I mean, that voice is beautiful. It's so, so relaxing. And so, I mean, it's almost like I, crystal clear kind of, you know, that's, that's the first thing come my head. It's just, it's just beautiful. Oh my Thank God, you. man. You just, uh, yeah, that's what actually, one, just, one of the background singers that's, that's singing on this CD who I love. I, in, in fact, we do a kind of a pseudo duet on, on one of the songs uh, called okay. going to be on the CD called Chance. And I, and the chorus is chance. I just say the word chance, and I never liked the way I sang the word chance. And I said, 
Perry, sing that for me. In fact, sing the whole chorus. I wanted to have you, because okay. there's other things that, other than just the word chance, but just sing the whole chorus for me. And right. I think I'm where, I think we're going to go back and forth with you, with the two of us singing this chorus. Oh, wow. His voice. And he has, a, he has a really different, he has a similar uh, timbre, but there's more rough edge around it, which I love. Okay. Oh yes. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. He's a phenomenal singer. He's ten times the singer I am. He's so good, and uh, and he just nails everything like boom, boom, first take kind of thing, you know. Okay. The pitch is right on everything, you know, and uh, so I had him, I had him sing on that. I just love it. But I remember the comment he made to me, and he goes, "Man, your voice is so crystal clear, man. I wish I could sing like that." I said, "Trade you." <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's uh, uh, two things I want to say. You mentioned John Anderson from Yes. Have you ever listened to John Anderson and Vangelis? Vangelis and John Anderson, the album? You know, Vangelis, the composer. Oh, yeah. the... oh you know. Have you ever listened to their I album knew, together? I knew of that album, but I, I, I forgot about that. No, I, it's weird. Oh, man, you right. got um, to listen to that Gosh. album. Oh, my God. I remember years and years ago, and I think I was, I don't know, maybe I was 17 or something, my father... My father was a sea captain, so every time he used to come back from, you know, either the U.S. or Asia, he used to bring some new albums. And I remember back then CDs were already the thing, not vinyls. And he came back from one of his trips and he said, you got to listen to this. You know, it was, it's a blue album and it's those John and Vangelis. Yeah. And... Man, I put the f the first track I put in, and I was like, I was sold. And this entire album is just, um, it's it's almost it's a must have, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that the album is just called John Evangelist. I'll have to that, check that out. Name of it. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Great album. And and the other thing I wanted to say to you is, um, um, you know Alan Parson, right? Oh, sure, sure. Alan Parson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of, you know, one of the singers that he always used, and, and, and there's a guy in particular that he always used as a background vocal. His name is Chris Rainbow. Have you heard of no, him? No, I haven't. I, I'll, I'll, you know, after the show, I'll send you a few of the Alan Parson um, um, tracks that, that he is doing the backup vocals. And he had a voice of, it's almost like an angel singing above nice. and you know and and ex that's why when i was listening to you it reminded me that clarity of of chris rainbow it, it, it was so distinct and it's it's so clear it's like almost like oh getting in you you know oh nice so uh, check that out so this album is coming out next year yes Yes, we, we will definitely. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping when this coming out, you know, if you will be kind enough, maybe we can have a show where we can play the whole album and, and talk about it. I would love that. Yeah. Um, so so let's let's move on to, uh, so when did you leave L.A.? Uh, or you always stay there until... I've never been in L.A. I, I, I mean, not L.A., I'm sorry, uh, California. I'm in California. Yeah, San Francisco, Bay Area, um, 14 years ago. Okay. 14 years ago, my wife, okay. I, my wife and I were living there, and most of the musical situations I was I was in at the time, I was teaching full time, teaching guitar time, oh. still doing okay. sessions here and there. But most of the gigs I was playing with, and I was keeping busy playing gigs, but I was kind of like the sub in several different bands. It was like okay. in a band of my own. I'm like subbing for 
like my friends, you know, keep them busy, but I'm right. just a sub, you know, and, and I get that. That's fine. You know, it's been, I know guitar, you know, in the free, being a freelance musician, there's a lot of situations where that, that occurred. Right. So right. I was used to it, but I was like, I'm not, you know, I, this might be a good time for us to go somewhere and actually buy a house. Cause we're, we're like, come on, Bay area, trying to own a home there. And so, uh, yeah, good luck. <laughs> so we, we could have got, got in a lot earlier than we did. And we, right. we, we just kind of snoozed on, you know, so, um, so let's, let's buy a house in, in Utah. I saw what my brother-in-law got for his money here. And I went, let's buy a house, you know, and then we'll turn around and sell it. Uh, and we'll stay in the Bay area. That was the original plan. I right, found this right. neighborhood where this house is where I'm, where I am now. And, uh, and I just fell in love with it. And I always liked Utah. I'd always tell. Okay. So that's the reason why you chose yeah. Utah because you always liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I always liked it. Yeah. I always did. I used to tell me we drive around here because we, we come here for like the holidays and things and visit our family. And I'd always, I, I love, I love Utah, but I don't know if I could ever live there, but I really do love visiting there. And uh, next thing I know, it's like, I, I was the one who wanted to move here. My wife's from here. My wife's from a little, a little town called Bountiful, just north of. Oh, so she is from she's Utah. From Utah. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. And she had been. She'd only been in California for, geez, a uh, few months when we met. Actually, right, we right. Lived, we lived pretty much in the same place for eighteen years in Marin County. Okay. And uh, and then moved from Marin County to here. So. You know, it's uh, yeah, it, it's kind of remind me, kind of like my story. You know, I, I moved, I moved to the U.S. from Israel in 1997. I was born in Israel, so and I moved to California, um, and I went to the musician a musician institute uh, for music. So you know, I lived there for about almost six years. Then I lived in New York, and then I went to Nashville. So a lot of people asking me, what a Jewish Israeli guy is doing in Kentucky. <laughs> from all the places in the world and and i have one answer a woman yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my wife is from here i mean she i mean she literally born and raised not only in kentucky in elizabethtown where oh, i am cool. i mean she literally was born here yeah. and this is where she's still so the first time i came to visit over here i remember i was still living in nashville and you know la is a big city uh, New York is a big city. Nashville started to be a big city. And, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm tired of those big cities. And, and when I came to visit that small town, like, man, it's, it's just, it's quiet. Yeah. It's nice. It's the Southern charm thing, you know? So it's, it, it was all coming together. It was like, I think I found home. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Yeah. And I've been here for four, uh, 15 years now, you know, so I love it. So, uh, what is it? 14 years, 14. Yeah. Yes. You know, almost the same. Yeah. Almost the same time. So when, when, when tower of power became a thing with you, let's see. Uh, well, you know, I had some history with some of the members in the band actually. Okay. Um, the lead tenor player, especially, uh, who's been with the band for almost eight, I think nearly 20 years now, 18. I think, yeah, he's been in the band eight years longer than I have. I've been the okay. band. He's been in the band for eighteen years, and he's the one playing the sax on that last song. Or not the last okay. first song we played, and um, the Christmas song, right? Yeah, Christmas song. Yeah, yeah. okay. So Tom Pollard, yeah. I played lots of recording sessions with him 
um, bunch of gigs as well. And so we were old friends, uh, did lots of sessions with uh, Roger Smith. Uh, yeah. One particular studio in a little town called Lodi, California. We had yeah. done a lot of, I remember the first time I heard him playing, I was doing some overdubs at this studio and, and I was going, nice P3, who's playing on that? Oh, that's Roger Smith. He just, he just became the, the B3 player in Tower of Power. It's like, oh yeah, cool. Wow, okay. <laughs> did a lot of stuff like that, you know, with him being the keyboard player on on um, on tracks that we recorded. And uh, who else? And then David Garibaldi had done done some gigs with David Garibaldi, casual stuff, right. club gigs with him. And, and uh, so in uh, 2000, um, 2009, I got asked to, December of 2009, I got asked to audition with the band. And okay. in January 14th of 2010, I did my first show with the band. That was probably NAM show, right? No, it wasn't actually that year. Um, but I have, we have done a couple of NAMs since I've been in the band. We did one in 2014, okay. I think. Okay. For exactly. Um, 2013 or 14, and then we just did one this year. We played. Okay. We played. Band okay. Here. It was really great. We played at the Yamaha uh, stage. Well, right. Yeah, at the, the main so you officially joined the band in '09. Uh, no, well, uh, that's when I got asked to, to play with the band. To play with when it. I right, right. I passed my audition in December of 2009, but I didn't play my first show with them until like the following month. Okay. January. Okay. So, yeah. I got you. Yeah. Which I think brings us to the next song. Uh, stop, right? Yeah, which is a song that I co-wrote with uh, Emilio Castillo, and uh, I had written this song 20 years ago, maybe or more. I, wow! I, I wrote it for uh, the Muzak Environmental Channel, and uh, Tom Pollitzer uh, got me involved with that. Tom Pollitzer and a, and a keyboard player named Brian Whitbecombe. They're the ones who turned me on to that particular gig, and the guy who produced. All this so I eventually I recorded like a thousand music titles over like a 10 year period or so okay right, right, right. and uh, it was a lot of fun we had, had a lot of fun doing that and while I was doing that the producer who produced this this last song we just listened to his name's Donnie Merrow he's a Seattle guy and one and the same one and the same yeah he's being produced these CDs that I'm, the Christmas CD and the last CD I put out called from the ground up and the one okay now and uh, he asked me, he said, do you have any original songs? I said, yeah. He goes, well, bring them and, and I'll submit them to Muzak and you can make songwrite. You know, there's royalties in that, you know? I said, sounds Okay. And so this the song that I wrote, it wasn't called Stop Then. Uh, it was just, a, it, was a, it was a funky instrumental. In fact, by the time I, I, uh, he submitted that song, they wrote back. And Muzak said, thank you, too funky. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? And, and I thought, thank you. <laughs> so uh, fast forward, you know, fast forward nearly 20 years, and Emilio said to all of us when we went to record our last album called The Soul Side of Town, he said, "Yes, if you guys have any songs, bring them in. We're, we're all interested, you know, so... Bring them in. We'll, we'll we'll add our two cents, or bring them to me, and I hope you co-write and that sort of thing. So I had this song, and I I I thought it when I wrote this song. I wasn't in Tower of Power when I wrote this song. I got done with it. And I was going, what am I going to call this? I was like, 
it really reminds me a lot of a Tower of Power song. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I nicknamed it Ivory Tower. So, uh, I, I what? You nicknamed what? Tower. I, I <laughs> just like, okay. oh, that's that Tower of Power sounding one. You know? Right, 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 right. So, in fact, it's actually on YouTube. The producer, when I, you know, I submitted that song, he, he took all those songs that I, I submitted to Muzak, and they're all up on YouTube, actually. Okay. Yeah. So you could find that song, the instrumental version of it, with the drum. The, okay, instrumental version. Bass, okay, I got you. Keyboard, okay. I'm playing bass, and I'm playing guitars, and, and there's, it's just a drum machine program that I okay know. okay and so anyway i i played that for emilio i said hey i have a song you know that um might be good and he listened to it and he goes it sounds good in fact when i sent it to him i took off the melody that i played on it and i just sent him the basic you know just had the rhythm track right yeah yeah i, I was like i left it open like hey you come up with a melody and some lyrics and he goes this all sounds good but do you have do you have a melody for it and i was so i was gonna let you do that he goes no, come up with a melody. I'll come up with lyrics. I said, fine. So I, I, <laughs> I already have it. So I sang this melody and I sent it to him. And he goes, oh, this is great. He goes, you know, but I don't have time to work on it today. I, we've got, I've got a house full of people visiting and it probably won't be for a few days until I get to it. I said, hey, no problem, man. And so I'm not kidding. Like three hours later, I I, he calls me and he goes, I finished it. I think you really like it. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, he finished it. And so it turned out it was the first song that we recorded from, from that album as well. So, wow. <laughs> and which album is that going to be on? It's, it's already out. It's been out. It, uh, in fact, that album went to number one on the Jazz Billboard chart. Uh, when? Yeah, uh, 2018. So the album, wow. the album is on the soul side of town. And this song, this is the song that I co-wrote with Emilio. And, great. And so Emilio uh, did a, did a great job on the lyrics, and okay. guy Dave Eskridge, he, he's the horn arranger for Tower of Power, did a great horn arrangement of it. And uh, Emilio really helped to kind of just kind of seal the deal as far as arrangement. It didn't go straight too far from the original, but uh, uh, but definitely enough, and, and it made it really work fit fit in really nice for Tower of Power. So cool. Let's listen to it. Okay, sounds good. Fuck. <laughs> 
funky, funky, funky. Yes. Cool. Yeah. So that's on the album, right? Yeah, that's on. That's on the album, Soul Side Town. That's uh, Marcus Scott singing. Did a great job, and uh, and the late great Rocco Presti on bass. Oh, which we just lost not long ago. Yeah, September. Oh yeah, yeah. So how many of the original members are still in the band? Um, it's uh, Doc Kuka on on uh, tenor sax, Emilio, uh, excuse me, on baritone sax, and uh, yeah. Castillo, Castillo on uh, on second tenor, and uh, David Garibaldi. Okay, okay, wow, man, this is funky. I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's a fun, fun I'll, I'll, and, and uh, we we performed it too. We were performing it. In fact, the last show we did concerts in your car just this year, uh, that was September sixth. We uh, we performed this song. We did two shows with uh, Los Lobos. We uh, Los Lobos. Oh wow! Us and we played uh, concerts in your car. We set up a stage, the Ventura County Fairgrounds, and cars parked in a in a circle around the stage <laughs> right and, like, almost like a drive-in kind exactly. of thing right and 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 uh there was no pa there was uh people oh. tuned into into their car radios oh wow yeah, yeah. wow it, out, it sounded really good i happened to um, come come upon a car late on a second show and knocked on the door and i said how's it sound and they said it sounds great they opened up their truck doors huge door you know and uh, I said, man, that sounds like a record. It really did. It sounded great. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I don't know why more and more people in states are doing it. I mean, yeah. during COVID, I mean, it can help musicians. Yeah, yeah. It can help people getting out of the house and you still, you know, I mean, you still staying safe because you're in the car. You're not mingling with any anybody else. Yeah. And... I just don't understand why they're not doing it. You know? Yeah, you know, um, you know what? But you know, we had pretty good. We had a pretty good turnout for the day show, but it was about. I gotta say, it was a little more than half full. It wasn't really that. It wasn't sold out. And then the last, uh, the second show we did at night, more people came out. You know, because it, right. it was a really hot weekend that that weekend. Right. Particularly. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, you know, right the Ventura County Fairgrounds is basically right on the beach. You know. Uh, yeah, right yeah. The ocean there, so that cooled it off quite a bit. Inland, I remember it was 120. That that, oh, that was oh. crazy hot. So uh, anyway, uh, we were supposed to do it again in October, late October, in okay, in, uh, in San Diego and uh, well, Phoenix and San Diego, in that order. And uh, so what happened? The promoter just sorry. Uh, just, well, that's a good song. Yeah, yeah it sure is. <laughs> Yeah. I know it's I know it's me. Uh, hold on a second, I lost you there. Okay, um, I'm here. That I'll shut this off. Uh, uh, so what happened? So the, they canceled it. Yeah, the promoter had to, he pulled the plug because he did lack of ticket sales and just not he the numbers weren't high enough for him. So he he pulled the plug on all his shows that he was going to promote. Uh, all the you know, I, I, and, to me, I think. Well, maybe they were not promoting it like they were supposed to, because to me, it's a genius way of doing oh, it. Uh, I guess the people. I mean, were coming out. How many people used to go like forty and thirty years ago to to watch a movie in a drive-in? I know, I know. You know, yeah. I mean, I think if you ask me, if somebody says, "Hey, uh, I don't know, Tal Power is going to play out in the uh, drive-in in and next night," I go. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, first of all, you don't have to deal with all that crowd is jumping on you and, 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 you know, uh, you know, especially if it's hot outside, you know, yeah. the stickiness, you're like in your car, roll down, the, you know, roll up the windows, have some air conditioning going on. It's almost like a private concert, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, and they, yeah. It's weird. You know, they had big screens and everything and, and they, they had a really impressive website too. Uh, I thought. I, yeah. I, I, hopefully. I don't know. I, 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 To me, it's like a no-brainer doing it. Sure. You know? Um, but, hey, who am I? So, um, let, let me ask you this. So, so you've been with, with the band for... Uh, since 2010. Yes. Right, officially. Uh-huh. So, that's, that's we're closing 10 years. Um, can you share with us some fun stories from the road or or you know or or you know any anything uh that you uh remember that made a big impact on your life or your music career uh you know i you know i could definitely tell you it's like some highlights you know i mean there's been all kinds of goofy funny little right goofy of things that happened to us you know just being on the road day to day you know it's uh And it, it's really fun being on the road with these guys uh, you know because everybody's such a, a trooper and has been doing it for forever you know and everybody has a, right. a good attitude about it everybody gives each other space and all that you know uh, yeah yeah dad you know that sort of thing and, and you know we have our disagreements here and there but we move on and it's all for the good it's all for the cause you know right it's all for the good of the group and all that sort of thing um, but uh, One of the highlights for me um, playing wise was um, playing the Royal Albert Hall in London oh oh yeah uh, you know because he just I've been hearing about it since I was I heard the heard the song uh now they know how many holes it takes to fill the Albert Hall. yeah yeah <laughs> it's like what's the Albert Hall you know <laughs> right the first time I heard about the Albert Hall. And, uh, and then, you know, just what a, what a grand venue it was. And, and we played that show with the band Incognito, who's a London... Oh, oh yeah. Chief. You know, they're a multicultural band. They have people that live all over the world that are in that. Yes. But they're basically a London-based band. And I thought we were opening for them, you know? It's like, because we've done shows with them, too, you know? And I thought... Right, right, right. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Opening for them. And then we get there, and I was like, oh, no, they're, they're opening for us? What? <laughs> and... Uh, And that, that's a giant place. The, and, and there was hardly an empty seat in the house. There were definitely some empty seats because it really is giant. But I was surprised right. at how, 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 how well stocked that was. I mean, the people, it was just really full. And just had a right. full night. And, um, and it was just, you know, like, I was like, look, look, Mom, I'm at Royal Albert Hall. <laughs> yes. Just one of I mean, yeah. highlights playing that. And then playing the North Sea Jazz Festival is another one. You know, just some of just the... Just gigs I never, you know, I always dreamed of playing, you know, and Hollywood Bowl, I've played the Hollywood Bowl like a half a dozen right. times. Right. You know, yeah. I never yeah. could have played the Hollywood Bowl, you know. And uh, and then there's just one more I was thinking, oh, yeah, and then Montreux Jazz Festival to, to have oh, yeah. show jazz. Yes. You know, just iconic kind of venues and shows and things like that. So it's it's been really a blessing, you know. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And then just the so, wonderful people I get to meet along the way. Uh, yeah. and, th- and then, you know, fans that fans of the band that eventually become friends. You know, I'm actually yes. with some of the people now that were, you know, started off as fans were actually friends. 
you know we don't that's beautiful yeah and things like that. yes and so that you know there's fans that are really fanatical and, and crazy and then there are yes. some who are yes. really down to earth and and really do do just want to get to know you and and our, our beautiful people you know you really get a chance to hang out with them um, speaking of of speaking of fans, uh, do you know who is uh, Andy Reese? Andy Reese? Yeah, no, the jazz player. A, a, a jazz player, you said? Yeah. No, I don't. He's from Nashville. Uh -huh. um, well, if you if you search if you search his name, uh, uh, you you you'll know who he is, or you'll know. I mean, he is a, a phenomenal player, and uh, he's been on a lot of records. Oh. And is a well, well respected in the uh, in the uh, guitar community. Cool. But when I talked to him about a day or two ago, I told him that I'm going to do uh, an interview with you. He said, "Oh my God, you got to tell Jerry that I love his playing. Oh, I'm a big, big fan." Oh, yeah. Nice. So, uh, but yeah, check out Andy Reese. You know, uh, and uh, yeah. Huh? I, I, I definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, he's players in he's a. In fact, my album was recorded in, in Nashville. This one and my last one, uh, from the ground up. Which uh, which uh, studio do you remember? Yes, uh, uh, Ocean Way. And oh yeah, yeah. And some, and yep. some of the songs in the previous album were recorded at Sony TV as well. Okay. Uh, Now, did you use some of the local uh, players yeah. Uh, yeah. to play? Do you remember who? Perry Danos, the background vocalist. He's a local guy. He's the Nashville. Okay. Okay. There was a, a another guy, another female vocalist too, as all as well singing a couple of different female vocalists as well singing backgrounds, and I'm singing okay. the backgrounds as well, and uh, and then we used a, a bass player named Danny O'Lanerty. He's playing. Oh yeah. Kevin Medill is playing keyboards, and okay. he's kind of like the musical director uh, in the sessions I've I've done in Nashville. He's always been the musical director. Okay. And. Um, And let's see who else. Who's playing drums? Uh, drums is Marcus Finney. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Marcus Finney, wonderful drummer. He's uh, Kevin Mose. He's kind of, kind of one of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indie. Yes. Yeah. And um, what else do we have in there? I think that's that's all I can think of as far as the Nashville guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, check out Andy Reese, and you will be uh, you will be amazed uh, who he is and. You know the stuff that he's doing. Uh, one of the best jazz players I've heard nice. in a long time. Oh, nice! Uh, is a walking library of of jazz oh, and uh, nice. and uh, you know. So yeah. So so uh, and if you uh, you know after you read about it, if you wanna if you wanna kind of uh, uh, hook up with him, I'll definitely hook you up, uh, guys. You know, but uh, but uh, so. I want to play another song. Uh, is the next one is off your album or is it uh, Tower of Power, the uh, Deep Blue Funk? Deep Blue Funk, that's, that's going to be off the new album, One and the Same. Okay, that's, that's, I got you. Yeah. Do you have any story about that one? Uh, you know, it's just one of those ideas that, that popped in my head and I, it sat on my computer for the longest time. And okay. I, I, I had like maybe one verse and me just kind of going and just singing nonsense words, you know, and then right. I finally uh, put it together. And I remember it, it was originally like a, quite a few clicks faster. Yeah. I remember I, I played it for uh, our keyboard player, Roger Smith, you know, we were driving in a car together 
somewhere on the road and uh, I played it for him. And I just say, well, what do you think of this? And he goes, it's great. You should probably slow it down though. It's <laughs> and he tried to describe to me what it would sound like, you know, if it was slow. Right. He kind of sang it back to him. I said, yeah, that could work. I could, I could see doing that. I just wanted to keep it exciting. That was to me. Right. Yes. I wanted, yes. Yeah, I wanted to push, you know, I wanted it to keep pushing, pushing kind of feel, you know, uh, yeah. And just be kind of chaotic. So that's why I want right. to But I did take his advice and I did slow it down. And uh, But it used to be kind of frantic. But, you know, and then as far as the lyrics go, this is me trying to uh, trying to create Hendrix-style kind of lyrics. Because I, I loved Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix's uh, poetry. I thought he wrote okay. really cool, like, images, yeah. you know, and just painted really cool pictures. And um, okay. it's just, you know, it's my... It's my attempt at writing some psychedelic lyrics. <laughs> okay, and that's going to be you singing as well. Yeah, this is me singing. Yeah. Let's go for it. Green with jealousy, purple getting rage. It's not a healthy thing for a man my age. I saw red as my heart turned blue That's how it goes when it comes to you I'm in a deep blue funk Deep blue funk I could have lost control But instead I lost my soul I'm in a deep With a tear in my eye Under an orange-colored sky The sky turned gray That's when you went away First I got hot Then my heart turned cold It may have been my fault But I just can't be controlled I'm on a deep blue funk Deep blue funk I could have gone berserk But I knew that wouldn't work I'm on a deep Man, I can't wait for the album to come out. Cool. Can't wait. This is funky. I love it. Oh, you know what it reminds me a little bit? Uh, you with Lewis and the News. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you know, that vibe, kind of like a groovy, funky horn. You know, even, I mean, I, you know, your singing is not the same register as uh, Yuri, but but that, that feel of singing and all that kind of reminded me that a little bit, cool. you know. Cool. Very energetic and driving. I love it. I love it. I love it. So before we finish, uh, because I I can go on and on and on. This is a fun interview, and I don't know about. I mean, it's almost it's almost two hours. It's like an hour and forty five minutes. So I'm having fun. Me too. You know. Yeah, totally fun. So, um, so before we play the last song, I'm gonna have two questions. One will be, can you tell us about the equipment you're using or the choice of equipment uh, when you go to studio live or is it the same or not? Do you have a favorite? Like, just share with us that, that little sure. thing. Well, my favorite uh, amp to play through is a deluxe. 
whether it's okay. live or in the studio. That's kind of like my go-to. And right now, I, I only really have an issue, a reissue, but it's a good reissue. And it sounds okay. good. I changed the speaker um, to a tone tubby that I think sounds really nice in, in that amp. And so I just, in fact, I brought that to my first rehearsal with Tower Power. And okay. I rehearsed with them. I actually brought another amp called the Top Hat amp that was that only really I, I I finally really discovered then. I think at my first rehearsal that this amp only sounds good if I crank it up like loud. It just sounds perfect, but I wow. okay. it didn't sound very good. And it could okay. be that you know I just wasn't experimenting enough with pedals at the time, you know, and I could have okay. it, you know, and had it sound more open sounding, but it just sounded really muffled and not. You know, the sound quality was poor, but turn it up and it was beautiful. <laughs> I just love it. Okay. But anyway, uh, and so I played like the first half a dozen gigs with the Deluxe Reverb with Tower Power. And I, I okay. Rocco telling me one night, he goes, man, I can't hear you. <laughs> 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 and so, and I was like, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I'm hearing it okay, but I'm, I'm, I, I, say, I said, I hear what you're saying, you know. And, uh, and so I, I, I told our, our sound man that. I said, are you hearing me? Because Rocco says he's not. And he goes, yeah, I'm hearing you fine, you know. Uh, he goes, well, if you want a more powerful amp, Tower Power owns a twin reverb. And I went, ooh, too much amp, <laughs> you know, because I was yeah. so used to doing it all with a deluxe reverb. And, and even I've, I had some sound, sound guys, you know, sound, sound engineers tell me, hey, could you turn down with a deluxe? You know, right, and, and and it's a big place, and and still. Oh my God! Yeah, that twin so, reverb is going to be a ball yeah, yeah. falling so, on stage. I'm just thinking that's way too much amp. So um, I tried it and it went, whoa! This is just, you know, because I, I, whenever I tried twin reverbs out before, my experience was just too much amp, you know. Yeah. And too too heavy to carry around. But this time, I didn't really have to worry worry about that. There was a we had a crew, you know, we had right, 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 right. moving that stuff around, you know two guys at yeah. the time picking up, you know, and it was in an anvil case, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I just thought, man, this, this, this really does work for tower power. This, you know, I've got all this nice clean headroom and I can yep. use an overdrive when I want, want to have overdriven sound, you know? So right. it worked out really, really well. But what I wasn't liking after a while was, um, the, the, unreliability of, of tubes you know i love this yeah and it was it was not only tubes but it was pedal boards you know connections in pedal boards you know it's like yeah. what's going on here i can remember once we were playing um in uh in germany uh at a festival and uh we were on stage and i, I remember we were in the middle of our set and tal wilkenfeld the bass player the wonderful bass player she was on stage herbie hancock was on stage Oh Lord! Cal Utah were on stage because they were playing oh, that day, so they're already at this festival. In fact, Herbie Hancock was walking around taking pictures of us with a really, <laughs> really nice camera. I remember he had this really nice, you know, Nikon camera or something, you know, and uh, taking all these pictures of us. And uh, so, right in the middle of our set, my pedal board goes out, and so oh, the band had to stop. And uh, and and so here, here's the crew and myself standing around my my pedal board all bent over, you know, going, what could it be, you know? <laughs> and those dangling connections and, you know, it's just trying to figure it out. Meanwhile, the whole band is, the whole set has come to a screeching halt. And I'm going, oh my hey, God. Great. And look who's on stage here tonight. <laughs> like, 
idiot guitar player can't figure out his, his stuff, you know? And so I just felt like a crumb, you know? I just felt so awful, you know, holding the show up like this. And uh, so I had a backup pedal board. We brought that out and, uh, you know, I got to the, the main pedal board and had that fixed down the road. But it was just one little connection, you know, that one of those cables that just came, not, came loose and needed to be resoldered kind of thing, you know? And, you know, that's, uh, it just was nerve wracking. And so there's that aspect, pedal boards going out. And pedal boards went out several times on me. With, and just during Tower of Power's tenure, you know. And then not only that, it's back line amps that you have to, you're susceptible to when you go to places where you can't bring gear because there's times right. where that's happened to us. Like when we go over, yes, we don't take all our, we don't take everything we own. We can't drive the truck over there, right? So we got to do back line. So we rent. And twins are our dime a dozen. You can find them everywhere. But yes. Most of them, have seen better days. <laughs> so uh, yes. one time we were in Tokyo and they, I'm not kidding, they had a, they ended up, they, they came in with like a half a dozen twin reverbs. They had a lot of them. Wow. I was saying, you guys, another yes. one of these? Because this one's not cutting it, man. This one's really got some noise issues. Yeah, sure. Right. Bring up another one. <laughs> okay, so this is dog number two. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got, and I'm not kidding, six of them, they were all dogs. Well, I found wow. that was a little bit less of a dog than the others, but it was still, man. And so I said, and I thought to myself, I'm going to be here the rest of the week playing through this thing. Oh, man, this is going to be rough, man. And so finally, we had a merchant guy that was working for us. And he goes, hey, did you ever hear, you know, the Helix, the Line 6 Helix? I said, sure. Yep. He goes, yeah. well, you want to try it out? I said, yeah. And uh, I remember the first night that he he let me try it out on a gig. I had just gotten some new in-ears and I'd never used in-ears before. Right, right, so right, right. I was brand new pair of in-ears and the Helix for the first time I was at Soundcheck and I went, yes. Yes, is, I found I it. I love it. Yeah. I'm hearing myself yeah. better. You know, I could hear myself really, really well. And uh, right. so uh, it worked really well. So that's what I've been using live. Okay. You know, it's I'm I'm glad that you 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 told the story about the nightmare of of pedal boards failing on you and you never know where it's coming from and it could be just like that little one connection and that connection can be among like thousands of wires that go on in there. Go try to find it. Yeah. Um and that's one of the reasons that I started my company, you know, the Benado Effect. Uh, it's because for years, for, I don't know, maybe 20 years, I was always looking for something that will be easy to use, something that you can rely on day and night. You don't have to worry about connections. Where do I find that cable? Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, so... So I was, you know, I was searching and searching and searching. And finally, I came up with an idea, you know, I should make something that it's, it's all built in. It's, it's, you know, it's almost like the Helix that you're talking about. But, you know, the Helix is on the digital world. I wanted to do this, the same thing on the analog world because, I, you know, I love the analog tone. So um, that's why that, yeah, that's why I, I, I kind of like came up with an idea that, that you have one unit that a it's easy to carry with you 
B, you don't have thousands of cables running. It's only your guitar cable, and then the cable goes out to the amp. Everything, it's already uh, built in inside. And so so I'm, I'm so glad you told that story because this is, this is the nightmare that I hear from a lot of players, uh, especially five minutes before you go on stage all of yeah. a sudden all that crap happened you oh, know middle of a show um, yeah and exactly or in the middle of the show you know uh, it's a shame because i there's so many wonderful pedals out there that are yes that are really really usable and have a wonderful sound and uh it's just it's just too crazy i can't depend on it anymore so i i, I would love to check out some of your effects sometime so you know, so so that you know, so that story. I, I'm, I'm so glad you told that story because this is the one thing that I am, uh, um, you know, it's almost like I'm teaching the uh, the uh, uh, player world. You know, w- why do I need to use your stuff and not these other pedals? Not yeah, you can use these other pedals, but guess what? These are the circumstances that you might gonna come with too. And then what you gonna do then? You're like. You're like two minutes before the show. You have Jeff Beck played five minutes before you. You got Eric Clapton played five minutes before you. Now you have to go on stage and like, eh, all bits noise and you don't know where it is. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you told that story because that's exactly the reason why I started what I'm doing. Um, and, uh, and at least, you know, on the analog world, sure. you know, of course, on the digital world, you have, you know, you got the Helix and you got, uh, you know, uh, you got the camper and all that stuff. So if you like the uh, if you like the digital, those are phenomenal, great uh, devices. If you want to stay true to the analog, uh, you know, I don't want to say I am the only one, but at least that was my vision. Sure. And it took me 17 years to, to come up with that. You know? yeah, they look promising, you know. And, uh, you know, for live, um, the Helix works great. And I, I Yes. It, it, uh, in fact, I, I, I like it more when I actually hear it back because I'm not getting, like, the best sound in my in-ears. I mean, I have really high-quality in-ears as well. And, uh, and I know one thing that did help me, I was going just straight to front of house, no wedge or anything, no no speaker cabinet on stage. And when yep. I put a wedge behind me, um, I'm hearing, I can feel a little bit of bottom end, which helps the sound a lot. Right, right. It really does, because a lot of times I go, man, I don't know about this, you know, speaking of the Helix. And then I'll hear right. even just like some somebody put a phone up in front of us who's standing far yes. enough behind the PA to hear it. And I'll, I'll hear it back and go, man, the Helix sounds amazing. On the sounds, yeah, it's great. I mean, so yes. I do like it, but for, for studio, I really prefer to play through uh, a Princeton or a Deluxe amp and with and with some pedals, you know, where you okay. control, you know, you start. Right, 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 yeah. I mean, you, you're there, you can control, you can stop whenever you want to, you can fix it. You don't have to worry about 20,000 people looking at you. It's like, what is he doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, for the studio, I, I do prefer, I like, I love the dimension of a, of a good, good mic and speaker. Right. You know, I, yes. I, I, okay. That's preferred, you know, with recording. So all the stuff you heard, Tower Power stuff today and my original stuff, that's all amp. Okay, and then you have uh, any favorite guitars for studio and live, or either or? Uh, I I do. You know, I I kind of like uh, I call I call kind of call them the, the four food groups. 
Uh, yeah. And so it's uh, and so I have a guitar trunk and I, I, it has five guitars in it, you know, okay. and that's all. That's all that that's ever on on the road. And uh, so I have a Tele, a Strat, uh, a 335, and a Les Paul. Okay. And uh, and then the fourth one is is reserved for a lot of times. So there's a guitar that um, that uh, that I endorse by a company called uh, Relish. They're out of Switzerland. And they make okay. a beautiful guitar called uh, a Jane, and I have a, a, a model called Cherry Jane. It's made out of cherry wood. It's a beautiful guitar. Okay. Um, okay. And uh, so I'll have that in there, or sometimes I'll put an SG in there. So I kind of swap out different guitars in the fifth slot in the guitar in the in the trunk. Okay. But I I basically always have those four chord, uh, four types of guitar. When I got into the band, I actually bought a. I went to a guitar center, and uh, it was before. I, it was before I passed my audition. I knew the audition was coming up. I, my wife and I got in the car. We drove to a guitar center. I said, you see that guitar right there? I said, that would be the perfect guitar for for Tower of Power. She said, why? I said, because it it's when I think of Tower of Power, I think of the early days, earliest days as the Telecaster, and then slightly yeah. after the earliest days is a Les Paul. And so right. all their most uh, their iconic tunes were either done on a, on a Telly or a Les Paul, and okay. that's that's how I think of it anyway. And okay. uh, and so what it was is it was a PRS McCarty, and uh, oh yeah, okay. What I liked about the PRS is uh, how well it does the coil tap thing. So, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I could I got kind of Telly esque kind of sound, and it okay. very Les Paul esque kind of sounds, and uh, and it. It stays in tune really well. It was a McCarty Carina. It was made out of all Carina wood, which is the same wood they okay. flying bees out of. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really nice, toneful wood, you know. And uh, I remember about a year or so into my tenure with Tower of Power, Doc Kuka, the you know the Barry Sax player, said, "Hey Jerry, do you ever think about playing a Fender? Because you know Fender Fenders is a big part of Tower of Power sound." I said, "Yeah, I know." And I just happened to have my PRS in my hand, you know. And I said, right. well, let me show you something. And I showed him how, you know, he doesn't know things about it. He's a sax player. He's right. playing a right, right, right. guitar. So I explained to him what, what the PRS can do, you know, showing the cold tapping thing, you know. Right. And he goes, well, I'll be damned. I, I like that idea, you know. And then finally, when we, we went to do our CD, he, he had, he, he, you know, the rhythm section did all their recording first. Right. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then the horns did did all their overdubs, you know, on top of their rhythm uh, tracks. And so I remember he he called me one day and he goes, "Jerry, I got to tell you, man, I've been listening to the to the to the basics so far on, on the album, and I'm listening to you more than any. You're my favorite thing to listen to on the on the, on the CD." I said, "You're wow. very kind." And he goes, "You know, I've." I've, I've mentioned to you in the past about playing Fenders or playing this kind of guitar. I said, you just go ahead and play whatever you feel like because it all comes to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, to be endorsed by the guy who pretty much wrote all the right iconic songs. Yes, him and right. wrote all those songs, all those great ballads. And those... Oh, that feels, that probably feels good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, for, for those who are, you know, starting uh, right now or, or want to break in into the world of uh, 
uh, funk music and and stuff like that. Do you have any recommendation as far as uh, practicing methods on on funk guitar? Yes, you know funk playing. Absolutely. Uh, listen to James Brown. Um, because there you go. <laughs> for James Brown, man, we wouldn't have funk. Tower of Power wouldn't exist. I think you okay. even heard Emilio say that we that Tower of Power wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for James Brown. And okay. James Brown, listen to James Brown. There was a lot of wonderful guitar players that played with him. Jimmy Nolan, who played on uh, Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. Yeah. I always think of the bass player's name that. Catfish Hodge was his name, I think. Catfish, Ho Catfish Hodges? His name was Catfish. He was another very funky uh, guitar player that, that played with James Brown back in the day. And then there was plenty of others. I, you know, I didn't catch their names. Um, I don't know who right. the guitar player is. Uh, on the original, uh, the, Tammy, uh, the Tammy show with James Brown, the same same show. You've seen that's from 1960. Yeah, yes, yes. on that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the yeah. guitar player on there is a drummer as well. Everybody's just so funky, man. And the guitar player is playing an L5. And he's got oh. really low, and he's playing an L5, like an archtop guitar. Wow. Just getting a great sound, but just funky as all get up, you know? Um, so that was the, that's the main thing. It's listen to James Brown. You know, and there's okay. other things, too. You know, um, Nile Rogers was very funky in the band he was in. Of course, Cheek, yes. Yeah. Uh, um, very funky guitar playing. Um, Motown stuff, of course, there's a lot of really great uh, funk and soul type guitar playing in that. Not uh, Maybe not so much funk, but it's soul and it's... Right, yes, yes. So the Motown stuff for sure. Stax Volt, um, you know, Steve Cropper's uh, approach playing yep. art yep. and blues. Man, he's such a great player. And, and influenced the original guitar player, Willie Fulton, you know. Uh, yeah. That's what I loved about the first those first couple albums that uh, Willie Fulton played on, because it, it reminded me of of Steve Cropper. It had that out of Memphis. Yes. And Steve Cropper actually produced the album Bump City. Uh, huh. Which okay. Fulton plays on. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Willie Fulton's another really great player. And then, uh, as far as just playing funk, Play, play with a drummer, you know, just get a chance to play with a drummer, even if it's a chance to play with a drum machine. Drum there's machine, some, right. There are some pretty funky drum loops on, on drum machines, if you may find right. one. Yes. Then the song Stop, the loop that's on that is from like 20-year-old technology. It was from one of those Dr. Rhythms, maybe. It was Elise's drum machine, I think. But man, a DR-16, I think it was what it was. And it's okay. like the funkiest drum loop, man. I've had drummers go, man, that loop is killer. Right. <laughs> and it really yeah. a great feel. And so, and just play and practice. I mean, even if you're just practicing scales to practice like right. the, with a groove. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. As opposed to just hearing a, a metronome click sound. Right. So right, practicing right. Uh, with a, either a drum machine or a real, a real live drummer and just play grooves that you like to turn you guys on, you know, and uh, that, that's part of it. Would you, would you recommend uh, um, a, a hard pick or a soft pick for funk? You know, it's, it's Rhythm? all personal preference. You know, I use a soft okay. pick for certain things and, a, and, a, and generally speaking, I use a, like a one millimeter size pick. So I use okay. a stiff pick. Um, but I do like a thin pick, especially for uh, strumming. Uh, let's see. 
I've got a 12 string guitar right here that's probably really horribly out of tune, but this is a 50 millimeter pick and I'll, I'll just strum a chord. You know, I, I, I've got an injury last night, Thanksgiving, I, I uh, sliced my finger on a, on a, a tin of cranberry sauce. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, so, but anyway, this is a, this is a soft pick. about that is it just has this glassy kind of sound that is really sweet okay. it's really really okay um so i really really like the sound of, uh, of the soft pick for strumming you know like strumming acoustic okay. guitar. whether it be a ballad or whether it be a really up-tempo bluegrassy kind of tune you know i i kind of i just kind of i kind of like that sound um it feels that fills in really nice this conversation with jerry cortez was cut by about two minutes I had some technical difficulties uh, during the recording, which I found out only later on. But it was only the last two minutes. Most of the conversation is uh, is here for you to listen. So I'm actually going to end this podcast with one of Jerry's originals that's uh, on his new album. And I will play that song in its entirety. So enjoy, have some fun, have a good time, and see you soon. Set your picture by the door. I thought we'd been down this road before. I tell a secret to you. To a place where I have come under